I really want to communicate what I believe God is speaking. And it's not just for 2017. It's been the season and it'll continue to be the season. And when we recognize what God is doing in the earth today and we recognize what he wants to do in us, it positions us with a courage. It positions us with a boldness, with a bravery so that we can what? Walk in covenant with our God, each other, and have the influence and the impact that he destined our lives to have. See, the fact is we are in a building season. God is using you. He is using me to build his kingdom in our spheres of influence. And guess what? When those things begin to take place, we recognize that there's a clash. There's a clash between light and darkness. Come on. There's a clash between good and evil. There's a clash between love and hatred. Come on. There's a clash between faith and fear. And so the fact is, we, as we're building, are confronting the gates of hell. We are establishing the kingdom of God. You just believe for healing for your body. Come on. There is a battle to keep you back from God's miraculous healing power. But guess what? We're builders. Because in Ephesians 1, 4, it says that God chose you in him before the foundations of the world, right? So God had a plan, an intent, a goal, and a purpose for you to be born at this time in history. You know, you could have been born at any time in history. And you happen to be born in this amazing last days. Oh, yes, it's a time of pressure. It's a time of stress. It's a time when men's hearts are fainting for fear because they feel that clash. But I want you to know, we are a generation that will accomplish more, do more, experience more, and have partnership with angel armies in levels that have been unprecedented to date. Man, we're on the winning side. We're in a great time of history. And the more we know our God and the more we know who we are in him, the more confidence and the greater boldness we're going to have to build in the midst of that clash. In Jeremiah 29, God says, for I know the thoughts or the plans or the purposes I think towards you. This is what God thinks. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Do you see that clash there? Because guess what, Jeremiah? They were probably feeling the, the evil, the clash, the pressure. But guess what? He said, I've got thoughts of peace. Guess what? When you've got peace, there's not only not fear, but there's a rest on the inside of you that you are not shaken, you are not moved, you just get out there and you do what God's called you to do. So in the midst of that clash, he says, I've got thoughts of peace for you, not of evil. And what? to give you an expected end. Now, we know the word hope means a joyful expectation for good, right? So he says, I have got an expectation for the end. And it's good. It is not evil. And so God... I believe today wants to really stir up a courage inside of us, stir up a boldness on the inside of us. Yeah, we feel the clash. How many of you feel the clash? Come on. <laughs> we feel the clash, but who cares? Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So we are positioned, as in 2 Corinthians 8.11, this is in the Amplified. So now finish this. Finish what? What you started. 
You know, one of our worship songs is, you're going to finish what you started. I won't sing. Finish what you started in our lives, right? We're standing on the promises because you're on our side. You're going to finish what you started in our lives. And so right here in Corinthians, it says, um, uh, so now finish this so that your eagerness in desiring it. Have you ever had a dream? Katie was talking today about inspiration. And a lot of times where you're at that place of inspiration is where you feel the intimidation. That's just talking about the clash. That's what it's talking about. All right. So the fact is right here, there was an eagerness and a passion when God inspired vision in the midst of you. And as you step out to build, you feel the clash, right? But he says, I want you to keep that same sense of eagerness and that may be equaled by the completion of it according to your ability. So he said, just like you had a passion when you started, don't let go of that. Keep that eagerness. Keep that passion on the inside of you because that is going to be the key that causes you to finish what you started. I do my best and I leave the rest. I can't do what I can't do. But I can do what I can do. And what I can't do, my God sure can. I do the possible. He does the impossible. And we can always do the possible, right? And we can believe him for the impossible. And his spirit dwells in us, giving us the power and the authority to execute his judgments, execute his promises in our lives. So I grabbed Tracy. I don't care about the clash. This is what God's promised for you. That's what we're going to believe. That's what we're going to pursue. No matter what we feel, no matter what we see, this is the promise of God, and you're going to receive the fullness of that prophetic promise. Come on. It's an awesome time in history. And I am thoroughly convinced if we want to build the kingdom, if we want to be in the perfect will of God, he will keep us there. He said, I put that in your heart. I'm going to make sure it comes to pass. And if you really desire that, how many of you really want to be in the perfect will of God? How many of you really want to build the kingdom of God? We are here. I mean, you would not be here if there wasn't something inside of you that wanted it so much more than what the world can offer. Come on. You recognize where you were without Jesus? That was a pretty, I won't go into my stories. But we recognize where we are with him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back. Oh, it gets so difficult when I get saved. Oh, believe me, before I got saved, it was a whole lot more difficult. <laughs> oh, come on. I might have felt a clash, but I felt a clash then, but had no hope in the midst of that clash. Come on. <laughs> I won't go into those stories. But see, we got to recognize the moment we say yes to the kingdom of God, we're saying no to the kingdom of darkness. The moment we say yes to light, we are saying no to darkness. The moment we say yes to life, we're saying no to death. So we don't have to fight the enemy. What do we do? We submit to God. And as we submit to God, we're already resisting the enemy. Hey, I've already said no to Jesus, so shut up, devil. I already said yes. Did I say no to Jesus? Is that what I said? I've already said yes to Jesus, so shut up, devil. I caught myself. I go, did I say that? You know, when you preach, you're ahead of your speech. So 
That's why I talk in half sentences a lot of times. I've said yes to life. So I'm saying no to death. Say, what if we fail in this journey? How many of you on your journey in God, you kind of messed up sometimes? A few times. (laughs) Maybe thought things we shouldn't have thought, did things we shouldn't have done, felt things that were like contrary to the kingdom or had attitudes that we shouldn't have had. Come on, is anybody here not perfect like me? All right. Okay, so we've all been there, right? So what do we do when we fall? And what does it say in Proverbs 24? If a righteous man, one who's received Jesus Christ, washed in the blood, a daughter or son of the king, if that person falls, he, seven times, he gets back up. He rises again, right? I just thought it very unique in the year of 5777. A building year. That's the Jewish calendar, 5777. A building year. We are being reminded that even when we fall, we can get back up. It's very unique that when Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, you need to forgive 70 times 7, he used the number 7. We're in the year 5777. And now when I fall, I get back up again. How many times? Seven. It's not talking about just numbers. It's talking about the heart of God, the perfection of him to say, listen, no matter how many times somebody does something, just forgive them. Walk in a spirit of forgiveness. Just have it as a part of your internal culture that I'm going to forgive and they don't even need to ask for it. I already give it. That's just going to be my heart attitude. And so my same heart attitude is, ooh, if I fall, I'm going to get up again. I'm not going to wallow in the depths of self-disappointment because I wasn't perfect. What about all the times when it seems like everything's going wrong? Did you have one of those moments when everything breaks down <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> one of those moments when, oh my gosh, we got to put $1,000 in our tractor so he can plow the driveway. A thousand bucks. That's not fun. What about those times when things to be sewing, going wrong, you know, those things just in the natural? Come on. Isaiah 54 says, there's no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper. And the word prosper means have a desired effect. See, in the midst of the clash, the enemy has a desired effect to stop you. If I can resist Laura, she'll back up and she'll stop and she'll pull away. Uh Uh-uh. No weapon that is formed against you. It might not feel good when that weapon's formed against you or you're sensing or prophetically having revelation of some type of opposition, whatever it might be, you're feeling that clash to say, hey, it's not going to have its desired effect. The enemy wants to get you in fear. Nope, it's not going to have that desired effect. The enemy wants to shut you down. No, it's not going to have a desire, that desired effect. He wants me to give up and get discouraged. Uh-uh, it's not going to have that effect on me. It's just going to make me more determined. What about, have you ever experienced this? You are physically 
emotionally or spiritually exhausted. Have you ever, anybody ever been there? Okay, thank you for two honest people in this place. All right. Man, we get tired sometimes, right? But guess what? God's word says in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary in doing well because in due season, we're going to reap if we don't faint. So if we don't give up, we're going to see the harvest. And I was just thinking about this. And um, did you get to put that picture on? I don't know where Katie is. She might not be in here. But I saw this neat picture and it says, why are you so excited? Is that on the slides? Okay. Why are you so excited about 2017? Because I'm going to pick a lot of flowers. Well, how do you know you're going to pick a lot of flowers? Because I'm planting the seeds. I'm not going to grow weary in doing well. Hey, we live in an agricultural community. And I'll tell you, that farmer might get up in the morning and go, oh, what a good day. Life is good. God is good. Oh, I get to go plant seeds today. He goes out and he plants his seeds in the ground. He's all excited and he's singing and he's having a great time. He plants those seeds in the ground. And guess what? They're going to bring about a harvest, right? But what if he wakes up the next day? He's got a stuffy nose. His head hurts. He's tired. He's exhausted. He doesn't feel like sowing seeds. But you know what? He gets up and he goes out and he sows the seeds anyway. Is he going to get a harvest from those seeds? Most definitely. See, the power is in the seeds. The potential is in the seed. So if I'm building I might face days where I am exhausted. I might face days where I am challenged emotionally. I might face days of feeling that clash intensively. But I'm going to keep on building. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pressing in there. Because the seeds I sow will bring a harvest, whether I feel good that day or I don't feel good. Because if I'm planting seeds, there's going to be a harvest in those seeds, right? When you do the right thing, it's always the right thing. When you put your hand to the plow, it's going to produce a harvest. This is not time to give up. See, one of the whole goals of the enemy, and we see it in Daniel 7, is to try to wear out the saints. He wants to wear us out. He wants us to get tired so we don't have the energy to fight a good fight of faith. So where we give more precedence to the negative things than what God's doing. He wants to wear us out. But if you really study Daniel, and I won't preach that chapter but if you study Daniel, what's amazing about Daniel, it is a last day's prophecy, but it talks about the judge sitting down at the court of appeals, as it were, waiting for us to come and make our appeal before the judge. And three or four times in that chapter, it says, and judgment was in favor of the saints of the most high God, and the saints possess the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Our 
Our daddy is the judge over all the earth. Come on. Our daddy's the judge. Our attorney is Jesus. And the Holy Ghost has his arm around us saying everything's going to be okay. And so when the enemy's trying to wear us out in the midst of that clash, I make my appeals before my daddy, the judge. And he makes a judgment in favor of us. And what do we do? We get to possess or we get to build the kingdom. That rocks. So we don't want the pressure of this age. We don't want that clash to take precedence over our positioning. We are positioned already in heavenly places. The kingdom of God dwells inside of us. We don't want that clash or we don't want the pressure of this age to take precedence or get our focus. I only have so much emotional energies Where am I going to invest those emotional energies? It's going to be in building. Oh, you're going to wear yourself out. Well, I would rather wear out than do nothing. Come on. We got to decide where we're going to spend our energies. See, we are graced with the finisher's anointing. God already put it inside of us. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. And he dwells inside of us. He was not moved from his deliberate purpose at all. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, run that you may obtain. Just don't go out running saying, oh, this is good exercise. Well, hey, hey, even if I exercise, it's to attain something, <laughs> right? Whether it's health or to lose weight or whatever, Believe me, if there wasn't a reason for it, I wouldn't do it. Come on. How many of you just say, oh, yes, I just want to go up and just wear out my body today? No, no, no. We recognize when we put energy into something, it's going to have an effect, right? So we need to run a race to obtain. And what I want to attain is what God has called me to accomplish on this earth, what God has called us to accomplish I want to see my children, my grandchildren, my spiritual children, my spiritual grandchildren, whatever you want to call it. I want to see my sphere of influence obtain the very reason they were planted on this earth. Because if we're doing what God's called us to do, we're already defeating the kingdom of darkness and advancing the kingdom. We're on the winning side. Hebrews 12.1 talks about running a race with patience. And we don't like that word patience, but it doesn't mean just sit there and just survive. That's not what it means. It means not being moved from your deliberate purpose. Patience might say, I feel this clash, but I'm not going to be moved from my purpose. I feel this pressure, but I'm not going to be moved from my purpose. Oh, I saw that on Facebook. I saw that in the news. I'm not going to be moved from my deliberate purpose. There is things I have no power to control. So I control the things I can, which is me. I can't control him. I've tried. 
years. No, it hasn't. Probably the first five or ten. No, it probably first six months and it didn't work. You know, so I can't control him. I can't. And do I want to? No. The one I can control, however, is me. That's liberating. Because the only one I'm ultimately responsible for is me. Come on, you can have a two-year-old, and sometimes you can't control them. You can, no, you're not moving. I mean, you might be able to physically control them, but you know what? You heard the story of the little boy who says, Mommy, I'm going swimming, you know, or no, no. She disciplines and said, go sit down. And he goes, no, I'm not going to sit down. She goes, sit down. No, I'm not going to sit down. I said, sit down. I'm not going to sit down. So finally, he sits down. She says, thank you for obeying. And he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> See, we are not to be moved from our deliberate purpose. God put something in your heart, pursue it. A promise he's given you, pursue it. Whether it's a written promise in the Logos word, or it's a prophetic promise from a raven word. Either way, it's a promise he's given me. And I'm not going to let go of it. Now, I'm going to say something pretty profound. Sometimes we position ourselves to protect ourselves from being disappointed. So we negotiate with the enemy. I don't want to pray because what if she's not here? So I negotiate with the enemy to say, I'm going to stay over here in a safe place and just pray for her at home. Because I don't want to pray for her and not see the manifestation. I will be disappointed. Do you see how this, oh, Lord, there's this need that we have. Well, I hate to pray for that because if I pray and I don't receive it right away, then I'll be disappointed. So what we do is we begin to negotiate with terrorists because we're trying to protect ourselves from being disappointed. Hey, guys, this is a season of building. We've got to throw that mindset out because now... I am negotiating with terrorists every time I lower my expectations so I'm not disappointed. I would rather be disappointed and with a high expectation than to have no expectation. But what's so amazing about our God is when we set our expectations high, he says, what do he say? Hey, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask, think, dream, or imagine. Your expectation still is not as high as mine for you. So right now, it's no more fear-based compromises. What if, what if, what if? Come on. This is a building season. We're not ignoring the clash. We're not ignoring the pressure of this age. We're not ignoring the battles that we face. We're not walking around in natural denial, but we know that there's a higher truth. 
So we don't want to negotiate with terrorists. Let's look what negotiate means. It means to reach an agreement or compromise through talking, agreeing with, bargaining, and making a deal with. Oh my goodness, do I want to reach an agreement with the enemy so I don't feel disappointed? <laughs> do I want to reach a compromise by talking and bargaining and dealing with the enemy? No. Say, how do we do that? By allowing fear to control our mind where we give the pressure and the clash more precedence over the truth. Have you ever walked in a fear and it controlled your mind? We have just negotiated with the enemy. This is a building season. And if we recognize how not to negotiate with the enemy and stay full on and run the race with patience, not being uh, swerved from our deliberate purpose, then we're going to see the harvest come forth. And even if I'm tired and I'm sowing those seeds exhausted, guess what? The seeds have the ability to produce. Bishop Hammond talks about how many Christians have an unspoken vow with the enemy. I leave you alone. You leave me alone. The fact is, you make a deal with the devil, he doesn't keep his end of the bargain. We think we're protecting ourselves when we're sabotaging ourselves. So I'm going to show you some of this in the word. In Nehemiah, oh, help me, Jesus. In Nehemiah 6, that was the introduction. Nehemiah 6, I'll go fast. Okay, so what happened is Nehemiah had this amazing favor from King Cyrus. My goodness, can you imagine saying, man, I'm grieving over the torn down walls of Jerusalem. It's like saying, I'm grieving over those being sex trafficked. I'm grieving over the abuse I see. I'm grieving over the injustices. My heart is broken. And he went and he approached the king, talked to him, and he told the king about his desire to build uh, the walls of Jerusalem. And what did the king do? He released such favor, he gave him absolutely everything he would need to rebuild that wall. Oh, my goodness, that rocks. What's your, what are you grieving over in your heart? Go before the king because he's already given you a new favor. He's already pronounced judgment on your behalf. And he says, it's okay to go build. And you're going to have everything you need to build. So he's out there building. And then Nehemiah 6, there's Sanballat, Toshib, and all these, Geshem, the Arab, and all them, all the enemies. So they came first subtly with a distraction. The first negotiation of the enemy was distraction. It wasn't this dominating, aggressive, lying fear, you know. It was, let's just distract them. Let's just get them to where they're not building. I think in our Americanized Western society, we place more value on entertainment and pleasure than we do building. Does God want us to love life? Yes, he does. But our goal in life, I don't know where Aaron is, forgive me, is not a vacation. 
That's not our goal in life. Our goal is to build. And guess what? We get to do vacations. We get to do fun things. It's all okay. But that's not our goal in life. Come on. The fun things are the rest from your labors. I don't work to have rest. I rest because I'm pouring out my life and building something. Now, I might go have fun, and I enjoy having fun, but I can't wait to get back from fun to go get something done. <laughs> it's like I pretty much tried to stay home the month of December, you know, to prepare and do things and be with family and decorations. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going on a plane and I'm leaving tomorrow for a while. You know, not that I don't love home or not that I didn't love those things, but I want to go do something. I want to go have impact. I don't want to just say, oh, look at the pretty lights in my house. And do I like that? Yes, I do. And if you know me, my house and the order of my house is very important to me. I won't even look or imagine what it's like in the two weeks that I'm gone. <laughs> he just fixes it up before I get home and we're okay. <laughs> so he comes with a distraction. So what does he do? He sends a message asking Nehemiah at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. I've got this message, and I need you to come and talk to me at Ono. Listen, we don't want to go to Ono. Oh, no, what if this happens? Oh, no, this could take place. Oh, no, do you feel that symptom? Oh, no, my gosh, you, what are they going to say? Oh, no, how are they going to respond to this? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. We don't want to go to Oh, no, all right? And Nehemiah knew, I don't want to go to Oh, no, either. But see, he knew, he had discernment that they were plotting to harm him. So he was not going to negotiate with terrorists, right? He had a no negotiation policy. And he said, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. So why should I stop working to come down and meet you? Oh, well, we have to talk. Hey, I don't have time to stop and meet you. Remember, we only have so much emotional energies. Where are we going to spend them? I'm not going to spend them at oh, no. I'm not going to let oh, no distract me from building. This week I had one day, it was really an intense day, and my mind wanted to visit the land of Ono, saying, oh no, how are you going to get all this work done? Do you realize you got, there you are, Aaron. <laughs> I've got three months of work to do before I leave for Nicaragua. Did I get it done? No, but I'm not going to go to the land of Ono. I'm going to continue to build. Then in verse 4, it says, four times they sent the message. It wasn't just, oh, you said no? Okay, no. Come on, to Ono. No, I'm not going to Ono. Come on, to Ono. No, I'm not going to Ono. Come on, come on. Four times. Now, the enemy realized I'm not going to get him to come down off that wall, so I will send an open letter. And that letter, listen to this letter. You might have gotten a letter or an email or a Facebook message that sounds like this, or maybe just a thought from the kingdom of darkness. Listen to this. There is a rumor. See why I hate gossip? There is a rumor among the surrounding nations of Geshem. Tell me it is true. 
that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building a wall. According to his report, sounds like fake news. I won't go there. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. Oh, you're just exalting yourself above everybody else. You're going to be the king. You're just rising up, and you, you know, you're going to have no respect for the king. You're going to be the king. All these reports. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Uh-oh. All these things being said about me, I guess I got to go make it right. So what was the second negotiation is accusation. First destruction, then accusation. But Nehemiah was not going to negotiate with terrorists. This is what he said. There is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So what do you do? So I continued the work with even greater determination. I'm not going to be swerved from my deliberate purpose. In fact, one of my internal policies is when I feel a lot of pressure in the clash between light and darkness, it puts a fight inside of me as a devil. I'll die before I pull back. He comes and harasses my mom. Oh, shut up. I've learned through the years that sometimes my greatest opposition was really negotiation to get me to back down. And when I wouldn't back down on the other side of it was great victories. And I want to tell you stories, uh, but I can't. All right? So the third thing in verse 10, okay, that didn't work. Distraction didn't work. Accusations didn't work. Is it any different today in 2017? No. So the next thing is fear threats. Let us meet together inside the temple. Now they're getting real religious here. Okay, you won't go to Ono? Let's go to church, all right? <laughs> this stuff is not going to happen in church. Not this church, in Jesus' name, all right? So he says, let us meet together in the temple of God and bolt the doors. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Man, if you stay in that wall, you're dead meat. Come, hide in the church. No, man, we're going into every sphere of influence, and we're going to establish the kingdom of God there. And you know what? Some people might not like it, but you know, oh, this week I got to tell you this story. So neat. It was about six years ago when I was at a multi-billion dollar company, and there was a woman who was the vice president of this division, a very uh, powerful, influential, strong, secure woman. And the first time I went into this company, she's sitting there with her arms crossed and said, this woman is just full of it. Nobody can be this happy. Nobody can be this passionate. Nobody can be at that place. And after it was done that day, she came up and told me she was thinking that. And she said, but you know, the more I listen to you, I realize that you're being very genuine. So the second time I went into that company, she came up to me and she says, Melody, would it be okay if sometime just on a personal level we talk? She never did call me. I gave her my number, but she never did call me. 
Just this past week on LinkedIn, she contacted me. Six years later. Isn't that beautiful? And we just talked and communicated. And she says, I remember this was important to you. And I remember this was important to you. What's happening? Isn't that amazing? How did I get off on that? So, oh, they're coming to kill you, all right? But he would not negotiate with terrorists. And this is what he said. I like it in the King James Better where he says, should such a man as I flee? Me? A daughter of the king flee? Come on. Somebody who's called, anointed, and appointed, run the other direction? I don't think so. But in the New Living Translation, it says, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. Oh, I was talking about the marketplace, hiding in the church, and God's called us to build the kingdom in all our spheres of influence. He goes, no, I won't do it. It was distraction. It was accusation. And it was threats of fear for his life. But he did not negotiate with terrorists. And then we see in verse 16. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. The enemy is so afraid of you building. Let's distract them. Let them focus on play. Let them focus on having... And, Please know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing and having fun. It's not, that's good, honey. I like that. It's not a career. I was very good. I love his support. He always supports me, no matter what I say. We got to hurry up. Moses. Think about Moses. He had a mandate from God. Now, you think, you go through the Bible, and you see the mandates placed on individuals this consumed their life. Come on. Serving God was just not a little thing on the side to do their religious duty. It was who they were. They lived it. They ate it. They breathed it. I remember Joel's first sermon he ever preached was when I got saved, it was no longer about me. That was a pretty profound message for a 16, 17-year-old. So Moses had this call from God. And so we know he goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. So what happens? The water turned to blood. The frogs came. The fleas came. The lice came. Now, I'm telling you, Pharaoh's fed up of the fleas and the lice and the frogs and the blood. So he calls Moses in to negotiate. Moses might have thought, hey, I won, I won. We're going to get to go. But guess what? Terrorists don't suddenly change their mind. But they'll negotiate. So in Exodus 8.38, and Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Yeah, all right. Only you shall not go very far. Okay, 
You can build, but you can only build a little. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that one, but you can only go so far. And so many of us have an amazing calling on our lives that are we going to only go so far or are we going to go the distance? I loved how Kenneth Hagin used to say years ago, come hell or high water, over, under, sink or swim, I'm going to believe the word of God. I'm not going to give up what I know to be true. I'm not going to stop short. I'm going to go to the distance. Until I see the manifestation of that healing, I'm not going to stop believing. Until I see that provision, I'm not going to stop believing. Until I see what God has put in my heart, that inspiration, that revelation in my heart, I am not going to back down. God's word is true. I don't care what the external says. I know that there's a higher truth. And I'm going to hang on to that because guess what? The decisions you make in these moments when the enemy is trying to get you to negotiate, the decisions you make at those times of your life will affect everyone around you. Every parent in this room, your decisions affect your kids. One of the greatest things we can do for our kids or grandkids is train them to believe God. Now, as part of me negotiating with terrorists, and I'll talk about that later, maybe. But you know what? Moses wouldn't negotiate. I just think of Paul when he talked to Timothy, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. See, he didn't quit on any of those things. He didn't weaken any of those things. But Moses did not negotiate with Pharaoh. In fact, he rebuked him and said, you better stop being so deceitful. So he goes. He wouldn't negotiate. So what happens? Then the boils came. The thunder came. The hail came. I mean, right now, Pharaoh is getting a good dose of the Holy Ghost. Really, I believe so many of those things was not just God's judgment. I believe God wanted to reveal himself. His power. But you know what? His heart was so hardened. Now the locusts. And at this point, Pharaoh's servants are really getting upset. Verse, chapter 10, verse 7. How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go so that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowing that Egypt could be destroyed. Let the men go. Okay, yes, there's a few choice people. The apostles, the prophets, some evangelists, not a few teachers. Pastors, I don't know how many because they have to deal with the saints all the time and you know, that's, you know, they, it's not just a choice few guys, it's all of us. And you don't have to be 18 years old, a legal adult to walk in it. Our kids. It is all of us. Every generation. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, wherever you're at. And here they're trying to get him to negotiate. Like, 
What are all those men going to do when they cross the Red Sea and all the women are left behind? I mean, my goodness, you know what? It'll ultimately just kill them off. And the fact is, in the body of Christ, the moment we cut anybody off, we're sabotaging our ability to be successful as a whole. If we cut the women out, it's sabotaging the men. If we cut the men out, it's sabotaging the women. If we cut the kids out, we're sabotaging our family. It's for all. And of course, you know the story. Moses wasn't going to negotiate. Then number three, so what happened after that? Then we know darkness came. And in Exodus 10, 24, the terrorist negotiation number three. So here, everything's darkness. They're facing all those things. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only. I mean, you can even take your kids. I'll let you take your kids. I'll make a concession. But only let your flocks and your herds stay here. Hey, you guys can go. And you know what? We adopt this religious thing. Oh, we don't care about money. We don't care about resources. We don't care about provision. As long as we have relationship. As long as I've got Laura, who needs money, right? No, wrong. That's why I picked on Laura, because money's her thing. And uh, not over God, of course. But the fact is, he's saying, hey, you can go, but you can't take money. You can't take provision. You can't take anything that would meet your need. You can't take anything that would be a part of your livelihood. And you know what? It was even affecting their worship, because at that time, did they not make sacrifices as an act of worship to God. So you can't have what you need to worship God and you can't have the provision. That's negotiating. That's why the enemy does not want us to have our money in order. And when we walk in fear and think about how things will just benefit us, we're sabotaging ourselves financially for the provision that we need. I'm hearing Laura. <laughs> he wouldn't negotiate. And I love this. Listen to this. Verse 25. Not only did he not accept that negotiation, he did not negotiate with terrorists. This is what he said. Pharaoh, you must provide us with the animals for sacrifice and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. Man, we're not even going to let a hoof behind. I want to let you know when we're going, we're going as God's promised, all of us together, the men, the women, the children, and you know the end of the story. The very next, think about this, the very next thing that came against Egypt was the threat of the firstborn son. And it was that very cattle, that flock, that's blood was shed to remind them of their covenant with the God who would deliver them. Yes, deliver their firstborn, but deliver them, the whole nation, from the tyranny of Egypt. We're fighting sex trafficking. We're fighting tyranny around the world and injustice around the world. How is this any different? 
We don't want to negotiate with terrorists. And we know they went, and I love this, and it's in Psalms 105. It's not up there, I don't think. Psalms 105, and this is uh, in the plain English Bible, but I love it. It says, he brought them out with silver and with gold, and there was no one who was weak among their generations. That's our families, guys. We're building something, and what we're building is not just, it's, it's not just for us. It's not just me, myself, and I. It's every decision I'm making is for our families, for our community, for our nation. And when we don't negotiate and we rise up and we lift our voice and we continue to build even in the midst of that clash, even in the midst of that pressure, we're going to see the seeds that we sow, the bricks that we lay, build something great. Jesus. Jesus did not negotiate with terrorists when he was in that wilderness. Jesus did not negotiate with terrorists when he was in the garden. He stayed focused in the midst of his emotional pain. The Bible said his soul was vexed. He felt the clash of light and darkness. He felt the clash of his will versus the will of God. The things that he wanted for him. One thing that I've cried over in my life is there's, you know, a part of me, I'm a grandma. And a part of me as a grandma just wants to be with my grandkids. I love my grandkids. And it challenges my soul sometimes when what I'm building keeps me back from them. But I know that I know that I know I'm obeying God. And I know my obedience will ultimately impact them for eternity. But if I negotiate and do what pleases me just so I can play. Now, we have our times. I mean, you know, we, we're with our grandkids. And we're the novelty. Actually, Loretta said the other day that the kids were doing something and she said, would you do that of Mem and Papa here? Oh, no, no, no. They wouldn't go to, oh, no, there. You know, okay, I mean, they went to, oh, no. No, we wouldn't do that. See, we're the novelty, so it makes it a little easy when we have them because they love being with us. But you know what we do in those times? We are sowing into them. We're investing into them. And I remember way back when my kids were little, like Aiden, Layla, and Maxwell, and we were building this church. And we didn't have money. We lived on buttered noodles. And, and I'll tell you, that whole part about don't take your flocks. Man, we negotiated with the enemy all the time. We didn't know how to believe God for abundance. We were being holy and spiritual and serving God just living on buttered noodles. And that whole thing that if you're in ministry, you're or those things, you should be poor and you should be without. My goodness, if you can go to work and make money, why can't somebody in ministry make some money? Come on. Who's going to use their money more to build the kingdom, right? I mean, I believed all kinds of lies when it came to money. 
But back in those days when we were eating buttered noodles and we didn't have that much, and I just remember, I remember sometimes just crying because like every night of the week, we were doing something to try to build the church. Man, I had children's ministry three times a week, and I had from two years, well, from babies all the way up to 15 years old, every single Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and I was working on those things, and I was I was the Laura, I was the bookkeeper. I, I mean, I was just like everything when it came to the natural stuff. Stephen did most of the preaching. I did some a little bit, I guess. And uh, did I? Yeah. He just would preach and stand back and I had to work the crowd, right? <laughs> and, but I mean, we gave and gave. And then I remember we had our home open and we had, man, Satanists and uh, drug pushers and all kinds. Anybody could just come into our home, which now if I'd go back, I'd change that and would not do that now out of wisdom. But I mean, I was always pretty extreme, and so we did a lot of extreme things. And man, I poured into the youth. How many of you, you were back here when I was, I mean, I gave my life to a young generation. I still want to. Back there, Larry, yes, Larry was 13 years old. I remember his red hair. Yeah. It was so cute. Sonia was there, yeah. And so I gave my life to these kids. And I remember one day I was like crying before the Lord. And I was just saying, God, I don't want to be giving my life to all these kids. Because, you know, the stereotype, preacher's kids, right? And I said, God, I don't want to neglect my kids because I'm investing into all these others. What do I do? And at that time, I don't think I really was able to discern the voice of the Lord like I am now. But I heard this thought, and I really felt that it was the Lord. And now I look back, and it was the Lord. But he spoke to me, and he says, you take care of my children, and I'll take care of yours. And that gave me a peace. And basically, you think Joel's been in ministry for what, 15, 16 years? I don't know, full-time ministry. He's been in full-time ministry since he was conceived. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rebecca grew up in this. They don't know any other way, you know. It was just, and, um, and then when they got older and I realized, you know, my kids had to pay a big price, I'd say, guys, do you forgive us? I mean, we'd counsel. Here they are, one and three years old. They had to stay in their room for like three hours while we're doing marriage counseling in the living room. And, you know, they amazing. God had to grace my kids. There they were in that room. So as they got older, as, what did you say? As they got older, I remember going to Rebecca and saying, Rebecca, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And she goes, Mom, will you stop it? You taught us how to put the kingdom of God first, and that's the way I want to live my life. Yeah. So you know what? I really did not give up anything. It cost to serve God, but the dividends are so much greater than the price. It really doesn't cost. It pays. My kids never had a swing set. I can give you a list of all these things I always dreamed to give my kids that my kids never, ever got because we never had the money. But who cares? I mean, really, big deal. Are, are they back there? Rebecca, are you grieving that you never had a swing set? Yeah. Are you? <laughs> 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 
We had a little round thing with a rope on we put in the tree. We didn't have money to get flowers, so we would go in the woods and uh, dig up those tiger lilies. It was probably on state game land or something. Dig up these tiger lilies and put them around our house. But you know what? We never once told our kids that we didn't have. But see, in my mind, going back, I was negotiating with terrorists. I mean, we lived under poverty level for 15 years. And even when the church was able to give us a salary, we said, no, 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 no. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, can't do that. Negotiating. Guys, I just got to quit. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, this is a building season. And, Lord, we've all negotiated at times in our lives, in our mind. And some of it might seem so good and so religious so holy when it's compromising us from walking in our very, very best. Now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just decree over every person here in the sound of my voice. And I declare they are rising and they are building. They are going to see their family built. They're going to see their lives built. They're going to see the community built. They're going to see the state built, the nation built in the name of Jesus. They are going to be world changers and walk in the fullness of that. And Lord, I declare and decree in Jesus' name that they will defy the odds, that they will make a showy display of your glory, that they will see your kingdom manifested that Lord God they will not stop short they will not give up they will not throw the talent but they're going to give a a hundred percent of their life and their energies and Lord God they will lack in no good thing they don't have to protect their lives they don't have to save their lives they don't have to negotiate but Lord God they are rising up and in that reckless abandonment we lack nothing we lack nothing and Lord God I just thank you and praise you that right now is a season, Lord God, where we're not just getting spiritual breakthroughs. We are taking territory in the name of Jesus.